You're listening to episode 218, Financial Intelligence with Henry Das. I could teach you to trade if you'd never traded before. And I could show you a, you know, a, a pretty simple, basic, not particularly esoteric way to analyze stock charts and how to yeah. analyze companies and all this stuff. The mechanics of it is great. But if you're living in scarcity and if you freak out every time your stock takes a hit yeah. and you want to get out or you set really tight stop loss orders because you're afraid of losing money and you keep getting stopped out, you get whipsawed because markets can be volatile. Um, that's not going to work if you're if you're if your mindset is not adjusted to the risk involved with stocks and the volatility. You've got to fix that first. Yeah, uh, and with some people, it's probably not fixable. It's probably baked in from a young age, and it'd be really tough. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oscar Wilde taking it away for us today. To love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. Why that quote is important today is because we're talking about what it means to be wealthy. You know, acceptance begins the journey towards self-worth. And it is a journey. It's a lifelong practice. But the thing is, self-worth is the key for living an abundant life. It's the key for being truly rich. If you have a lot of money, but you don't believe that you're worth very much, then you're not actually very rich. To be abundant, to find true wealth, is to love yourself. And not in a cocky or arrogant way, but to truly accept and value yourself, to know what your self-worth is, to stand up for your self-worth, to forget your, or to remember your own power in times of scarcity. These are things that are true riches. And today we're going to be talking about both what it means to be rich in a physical sense, with some money, of course, everybody wants to know about that, but also more importantly, what it means to be rich in a spiritual sense. My inspiring guest today has an impressive resume as an entrepreneur, investor, and business coach. He's also the author of FQ, Financial Intelligence, and his specialties include consultative advisory, strategic planning, startups, small business, coaching, mentoring, new business development, entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, product management, relationship building, and communications. Super excited to have Henry Doss on the show. You know, despite many decades of experience, Henry is a self-described ordinary guy who loves to play golf, write screenplays, and be with his family in his spare time. And today we're going to sit down and cover the gamut of personal finance from investing to addressing your internal money stories and living in true abundance. If you want to get in touch with Henry, uh, I'm going to post his info on the show notes, but you can check it out. Uh, He's going to give one month of coaching for your financial goals. So if this is important to you, if finances are an important goal for you this month, 
check this out. I'm going to put the link for it in the show notes. Um, you can look him up, Henry Das with two A's, D-A-A-S. Uh, but I'm going to put all that info as well for you to access the freebie on the podcast show notes. Now today, like I said, we're talking about what it takes to be wealthy and not in the sense of just the financial numbers game uh, or investing or choosing wisely with your investments, this kind of thing, but really, you know, spiritual wealth. And what does it mean to heal your relationship with money, to tackle your money stories, the things that you say to yourself internally with your relationship with money, or how do you deal with scarcity? You know, if you find any of this stuff valuable, or if you know anybody kind of maybe stuck in a rut or if they're having some issue with their finances, that may be interested to hear this message today, share this with them. You never know, you might give them a little boost, a little change, and that is worth it. So super excited to get into this with you guys. Let's jump into it with Henry Doss, FQ, Financial Intelligence. Here we go. drinking over there place for my cup of tea i'm just i just had a cup of tea what kind of tea earl gray it's like the only tea that i like i love earl gray you know i get coffee at 7-eleven and i i I can only drink they have 27 different types of of and you don't get diarrhea from that coffee (laughs) i don't actually because i only take the only one i have is is called hazelnut Oh, so gotcha. if they don't have hazelnut, I have to leave and go to a different 7-Eleven. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a $2, $2 cup of coffee, I guess maybe my body's immune to it after all this time. Yeah, you've been, uh, uh, oh, you got some desensitized. Been... You got desensitized <laughs> from mm-hmm. all the... Well, I'll tell you what, it's better than spending uh, 8 $9 on Starbucks and all the uh, other crap they hello. put in there. Hello, yeah, exactly. Can you imagine? Nine bucks a day, that's $300 a month habit. You could be <laughs> investing that money, right? <laughs> yeah, there was this guy I met years ago named David Bach. He's written a whole bunch of books. He has a book. I think he actually has a trademark on the term the latte factor, mm. where he talks about, you know, switching to a, a a cheaper cup of coffee and, and what the effect of that would be over 50 years. Um, and I wrote about it when I wrote my FQ book, I said, it's not going to make you rich, but you'll have more money. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw a graph recently, actually I'm part of some investing group on Facebook and uh, some, you know, people just post all kinds of random stuff in there, but somebody posted a, comparison chart of somebody who drinks the Starbucks every day and then somebody who invested after 20 years and yeah uh, you know the compounding man it's just crazy like the the effect of what you do every day and how it it's compounds. probably worth like three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah yeah it was, it was pretty between, significant it's a lot a lot a lot of money right Einstein said the greatest uh, the greatest yeah. <laughs> uh, mathematical invention eighth ever wonder of the world or whatever the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest he's exactly right when did compound interest start like when did that whole idea start uh, I'm probably gonna believe it goes back to the guys that Jesus kicked out of the uh, out of the temple the money the money lenders they wow. probably sat down and figured it out and said hey you know what if we instead of doing simple interest why don't we just do this hmm. and, and then it's like holy shit we make a lot more money if we compound it that's crazy I didn't I couldn't believe it was that old that's wild mm-hmm. yeah that shit goes back centuries. So, 
Um, let me ask you, who is your audience? I looked at your your podcast and I saw the the cool people that you talk to. Um, who's this for? You know, I'd say anybody that's uh, looking to improve their life in some way, to get inspired, mm-hmm. to learn learn something new. You know, it's a okay. pretty broad category. I've had people talk about health. I've talked about business. I've talked about uh, success, self-worth, you know, financial stuff uh, is great too. So I'm really excited. Yeah, about whatever this. whatever yeah. you want, you lead and I'll follow. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really curious because you have a lot of, a lot of good stuff that you talk about on a regular basis. And, I, and we can start with that book too. Like you, you wrote financial FQ, financial, FQ, I like that. financial yeah. intelligence. Yes. I like that. I, and were you always good with money? Were you always like a money always. type of person? Were you, were you that kid with the uh, lemonade stands? <laughs> I, I didn't have a lemonade stand, um, but I started cutting lawns when I was probably, I want to say around 12, might've been, yeah. might've been younger than that. Um, I told a story on a podcast about how um, there was a bike that I wanted uh, when I was like nine years old. It's called a, a lemon peeler. It's made by Schwinn. You can, Google, you can go on eBay. They, they, they'll cost thousands of dollars wow. to find a really good lemon peeler. It's the coolest bike ever because it's got a little front wheel and a drum brake and it's and a banana seat. It's a bike I wanted. It cost a hundred dollars. Wow. And there was no way in hell my depression baby parents were going to buy me a hundred dollar bicycle. So when I was 15, I saw an ad in a local shopper that someone was selling a lemon peeler for like 50 bucks. And I didn't, you know, I was 15. So I walked from my house like two miles and I knocked on their door and I bought the lemon peeler from them for 50 bucks. It's not age appropriate at all for a 15 year old. I didn't care up by that point. Pretty good. Yeah. I did not (laughs) care that. Yeah. It only had like a $50 depreciation at that point. And uh, I rode it around proud as a peacock for like three weeks. I got my yayas out. I got it out of my system. I had it. And then I put an ad in that same paper for two bucks and I sold it for like 90 bucks. Wow. I had a nice little arbitrage uh, opportunity. So I got to, I got to have the bike and I made money. Nice. It was was a win, win, win for, for me. So. You've had a lot of, uh, you know, you've got a lot of jobs and worked hard throughout your life. And I kind of have a question about what your perspective is on. Are we online now? Yeah. Are we, are, are yeah, we rolling? We're rolling. Cool. Yeah. Oh, um, edit that out. Um, no, you're, you're good. Um, my, my question is, you know, with the whole working harder versus working smarter thing, what's your take on that? You know, especially with finances and money and everything. My partner actually said that to me once with my first business probably yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. He, he said, I don't, I don't want to work harder. I want to work smarter. I said, how about you work smarter and you work harder? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 since when did this become a binary choice? Yeah. Right. It's like that little meme that one of my clients slacked to me a couple of years ago when we were talking about something, a little meme of a, of a, I guess it's a Hispanic girl, a Mexican girl with a thing that says, why not both? It's like a taco thing, hard <laughs> oh, yeah. and soft tacos why not both it's like since when do we have to choose things yeah in certain to certain degrees we do have to choose i don't want to i don't want to um just gloss over that yeah um 
But the way you frame it in your mind, those are limiting beliefs. Yeah. If you believe that you have to choose one or the other, and it doesn't even occur to you that, heck, maybe I can do both of those things. So I get it. You want to work more efficiently. Maybe it's a pattern language thing. Yeah. We all want to work more efficiently, right? We don't want to just have to grind. I mean, I coach entrepreneurs and I've had people come to me who are burnt out. Let's just face it. They're yeah. ready to cash in their chips. I got to talk them off the ledge and say, hey, you know, once an entrepreneur, kind of always an entrepreneur. Yeah. There are exceptions to that rule. Um, but that's a tough transition to make um, once you're an entrepreneur. I've been one for 30 years. I don't even know what it would be like to go work for something. Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> It'd be weird. I don't know anybody who would hire me. Yeah. Right. My, my buddy Keith calls it unemployable. He's in our yeah. entrepreneur groups that's been together for 22 years. Um, we meet once a month. Now we're doing it with Zoom. Unemployable. Um, and, it's, and he's right. It's, um, it's tough to go back. So once you make that commitment. How do you think money has changed? Has it changed in the last 50 years? Like in terms of our attitudes towards it, do you see any significant differences as far as behavior or attitudes? Or I guess that's a pretty open question, but I'll leave it to you. Um, a relationship well, there, to money, maybe. There, There's a couple things in there. Um you know, there, there's the, the sort of analytical view of it, which, which says, which the pundits will say, this, this could be the first generation that doesn't do as well as their parents, mm. right? That's sobering, right? The American dream is this idea, and, and I'm a second generation American, so my, my, uh, all my grandparents who, who they all were dead by the time I was like two years old, so I never really met any of my grandparents, but they're all from the old country. So my parents are, are first generation. Um, you know, these are immigrants who came here with nothing. My my uh, my grandfather was a Yankee peddler. Do you know what a Yankee peddler is? No. What is that? Yankee peddler. You probably heard the term. There'll be like a bar. It's called oh the Yankee. Let's go to the Yankee peddler for for <laughs> for uh, for dinner. There's probably one in every in every state. But what is a Yankee peddler? He went in India. He he came from Syria to Indiana. In I'm thinking 1883 is probably wow. one of the very first Syrian immigrants because the the first Syrian immigrants actually appeared in America I believe in the late 1870s and he was wow. 18 years old and he went door to door through farms in Middle America in Indiana and he sold the farmer's stuff door to door to door wow that was his thing that he did and he said the family history says. He said, I, I always tried to end at a German farm because they would give me a hot meal and they'd let me sleep in the barn. They were the only ones. Everybody else, I had to sleep in the field. Wow. This, these are the things that you Different do. life back then, man. That's crazy. So, but but people have no context for that. Yeah. Right? In, this, in this day and age. This day and age, it's sort of like, uh, I read a statistic about something like 80% of high school students want to be rich. It's like, yeah. do you want to be rich or do you want to be wealthy? Do you want material wealth, right? You want a lot of money or do you want to live a rich life? Yeah. Talk about why not both. Uh, they, they are not correlated, right? They are, they are not. I know plenty of people with lots of money who are miserable, Yeah. right? They just are the whole more money, more problems kind of a thing. Um, a lot of people you probably do and your listeners probably do yeah. you know, people it's like what do they complain about 
They got all the money in the world, and all I ever hear out of their mouth is complaints about this. That, Trapped that. in their own mind. It's uh, yeah, biggest it's, prison. It's a, it's a mindset thing, and yet there are people who you look at them. They don't have two nickels to, to rub together, and they're just happy as a clam at high tide. Yeah. So uh, that all comes from your, you know, from inside of you. That's that's intrinsic happiness, mm-hmm. as opposed to what's called extrinsic happiness. And there's a documentary on this that I watched a long time ago. Uh, where they actually talk about that, you know, how people who it's all really all about attitude and mindset. If you want to be happy, be happy. If you're looking for reasons to be unhappy, I was just on a Zoom call earlier today and it's a lot of political stuff that goes on and all this. And I said, look, if I could go to sleep now and wake up on January 21st with a new president, I'd sign up for that. Right? I wouldn't do that just for the calming effect of a long three month sleep. I'd be happy to do that. That'd be some um, pretty crazy technology if it did. Exist. <laughs> exactly. Well, bears do it. So, mm. What do you think your biggest uh, lesson was from all the things you've done in the last couple decades with, with finances and money and business? I mean, what, what do you think? I talk a lot about risk. Yeah. Um, in my book, I talk a lot about risk. Risk isn't everything. It's the only thing. The mm-hmm. old, you know, paraphrasing Vince Lombardi, right? The famous football coach. Uh, people can quote you the return on investment, like on a, you know, two two eighty seven decimal places, right? I bought this, and this was my return return on investment. Um, could you tell me what the risk associated was? What What do you mean? Well, how risky was it? Right. What were the what was the possibility that if this thing went sideways or went against you, how much did you have at risk? And I've done some things. I had some, uh, you know, I had a a business partner commit suicide, leave me holding a million dollar bag doing uh, doing real estate investment. Uh, So, yeah, I thought I covered my ass. I wrote about that in my book. I said I thought I had risk covered. I was wrong. Wow. And I didn't. So that is that's the that is the essence. You know, there are, there are two goalposts for people. Really, there's the scarcity mindset, and there's the abundance mindset. And they those are the two endpoints, and they both have pros and cons, right? Yeah. There are times when it's important to have a scarcity mindset. You circle the wagons, right? COVID comes, the world goes crazy. Uh, maybe I want to keep some of my powder dry, and and and. Uh, what traders would call risk off. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go to cash. Like the easiest way to, 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 to diminish risk is to go to cash. Um, but there's other times where it's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I want to be risk on. Yeah. Right. I want to be able to take chances. Now, am I going to throw all my chips in the middle of the table? No, I'm always going to hold some back. Right. Not a riverboat gambler here. So you want to find yourself somewhere in between those. But you'll what you'll discover is it's more of an oscillation. Yeah. I'm in scarcity today and six months from now I'm in abundance and then I'm cycling back to scarcity and then cycling back to abundance. So being mindful of risk all the time and all the things that you do, whether it's in entrepreneurship or money or anything. Um trading, which is what I do, you know, my manage portfolio every day, uh, always looking at making little teeny adjustments, not huge course corrections, little adjustments, little moves. Was there something recently that you took a big risk on? And did it, did it teach you anything? Mm, recently 
did I take a big relatively risk? recently? I guess. I mean, uh, recently I'll have to be probably like the last maybe ten years or so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, there, like, like doing this, you know, real estate partnership that I did, yeah. which was uh, going back about fifteen years. Yeah, that was probably the last sort of truly risky thing that I did, mm. where I had capital in play that that could have been lost. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know what? I, I have lots of money in the stock market, and when the when the stock market imploded back in February. Yeah, uh, I waited for for it to wash out, and I rebalanced. I had a lot of cash on hand, and I said, uh, "I'm going to pick up some bargains." Yeah, that's just having seen it multiple times before. You know, '87, 2001, the dot bomb, 2008. I, I've lived through it. It's like, oh, this is Groundhog Day. Yeah, here we're doing yeah. this again, right? Where do you think people struggle the most? I mean, where do they make the most? financial mistakes in your experience where have you seen kind of the same common patterns they don't have a plan they just don't have a plan that's the essence of like the first my chat my book is uh 18 chapters and my course is the same thing because i sell i sell it as a course i built it as a course but then people said you should make it a book and then i sold it as a book which i basically give it away yeah. for people to read it if you can do this on your own do it on your own if you want someone to shepherd you through the process over 20 weeks I'll do that. Either way, the important thing is make a plan. And where does it start? Take a take an accounting of what it is you have. I mean, when my when my father passed away in 2000, my mother had no idea how much money they had. Wow. Had rough idea. When I asked her, it was one third of what her net worth was. I said, take a guess at what you're net. I spent an entire week figuring it out. They'd always invest in the stock market. They had the actual stock certificates in an unlocked filing cabinet in the basement going back, you know, decades. Wow. And I had to sit through this. I took this giant pile with my mother by the hand to Schwab. And I said, this is all going in an account. And they charged her, I don't know, She a couple of weeks later, she said, they charged me $1,000 to do that. I said, really? You got off easy. They should have charged you $10,000 for the work that they had to type in every single one of those QCIP numbers wow. on, your, on your dividend reinvestment. I'm like, it's, it's, it's time. I got her a computer. I said, you can watch your money. I'll show you how to log in. Have at it, Right. But you, you can't you can't live like this. So you got to start that. But there's but people they have no idea, yeah, and they don't know what their what their risks are moving forward. So great, you figured out that I have a net worth of five hundred thousand dollars. Yippee, yeah. But you got three little three kids under the age of ten. What do you think it's going to cost to put them through college, right? What do you what if you need a bigger house? What if you need life insurance? What if you need what do you what do you what do you? And got to build a roadmap. And be- yes, oh, there's, there's, no, I'm sorry. And yes, there's, it's not etched in granite, right? There's an old yeah. saying that man plans, God laughs, yeah. right? Which is a great, which is a great, um, wonderful quote, classic quote. Uh, and it's true. It's not etched in granite. You're going to make little pivots and you're going to call some audibles. It's going to happen. But at least you had a plan, right? Again, going back to the football, you got a football coach. Does he, you know, these guys, uh, Bill Walsh, the famous 49ers coach, he scripted the first 25 plays. He knew what the first 25 plays were going to be before the game even started. Yeah. Who does that? Nobody ever did that before. That's why he won three championships is because he's like, no, I'm going to plan this out. (laughs) Right. 
How do you think people can get started? I mean, investing is, is such a, for the average person, it's a murky terrain. And so, you know, when you, when you talk about all these different components to it, you know, like balancing a portfolio, rebalancing, you know, managing your costs and fees and things like that. So how do people get started in an easy way that they can, you know, basically at least have the advantage of compound? Cause really every, every day and every month and year that you miss, you're missing that advantage of compound interest. And so sure. the sooner you start, the better, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea. The sooner you start. Um, I had to fill out a, 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 a um, form for another podcast, which I think is not going to be until January. One of the questions is, uh, what would you tell somebody at 30 years old, um, you know, about, about investing? And I'd yeah. say uh, you're 15 years late, <laughs> right? Should have started when you were 15. Yeah. Right. So you got some catching up to do. And it's not unusual for someone to get to be 30 years old. And my oldest son will be 29 this year. And you get to 30 years old and you have a net worth of zero. When, yeah. my, when my wife and I got married at 31 years old, I was 31. She was 28. We had a net worth of zero. Zero is pretty good. I mean, most people are in debt. <laughs> most people, well, most people are in debt. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm being generous. Yeah. I played I played golf with these young kids uh, over the summer, and um, I don't even know how the subject came up, but uh, one of them said, "I have a hundred thousand dollars in student debt." Man, it's just crazy. I'm like what? Hundred? He goes, "Yeah, it's a, it's a, I have to spend a thousand bucks a month to pay off this note." We went through great pains. Part of our plan was to make sure that our three boys graduated from college with no college debt. It's yeah. a very tall order. That's $600,000 cash money. If you include taxes and inflation, whatever, probably had to make a million bucks in our adult lifetime, my wife and I, just to pay for the kids' college. Wow. I graduated with no debt. My wife didn't, and that's the story I talked about in the book. I won't bore you with it, but I did. And I said, we need to gift that to our kids. I couldn't even imagine graduating college and being in debt. And our, my youngest um, is probably going to be cash positive when he comes out because he's got more money in his account than I think he's going to spend. Nice. Wow. So, good, good for him. Good way to start with a little nest egg. But anyway, going back to the original question, where you start, chapter one of my book, The Psychology of Money. I could teach you to trade if you'd never traded before. And I could show you a, you know, a, a pretty simple, basic, not particularly esoteric way to analyze stock charts and how to yeah. analyze companies and all this stuff. The mechanics of it is great. But if you're living in scarcity and if you freak out every time your stock takes a hit yeah. and you want to get out, or you set really tight stop loss orders because you're afraid of losing money and you keep getting stopped out, you get whipsawed because markets can be volatile. Um, that's not going to work. If, you're, if, you're, if your mindset is not adjusted to the risk involved with stocks and the volatility, you've got to fix that first. Yeah. Uh, and with some people, it's probably not fixable. It's probably baked in from a young age and it'd be really tough. That's, that's actually such a good point. You know, that's one of my favorite things that you talk about was the difference between being rich and, and being wealthy and, and living in abundance versus, you know, just having money. And I guess that's my next question is how, how do you 
train somebody to <laughs> get out of <laughs> scarcity mode. You know what? What? Let me put it this way. Let, let's use your own life. How did you overcome? Because we all have scarcity. You know, especially yeah. throughout life, there's always going to be something that's going to challenge you in some way, even if it's new territory. So, uh, how did you learn to dance with that problem and, and kind of come back into abundance and and not be hanging out in scarcity all the time no it's a that's a, it's a wonderful question um for my particular the way my particular brain works i need the data i need the knowledge right i'm not a, i'm not a replicant it's not like i'm just a computer that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna do this there's emotion with everything yeah but i feel better when i know kind of what's gonna happen or what's within the realm of, of possibility. Long as I know, I, I mean, a black swan event, something like, you know, COVID, you know, killing the market and closing the economy yeah. for, for two weeks. It's actually wonderful. Economists must be having a field day with this yeah. because they've been modeling this for decades and now it actually happened. They actually mm. have real data that, that can determine that the economy shrunk by, by about 30%, Yeah. right? When you, throw the brakes on it, it goes down 30%. Um, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you an example that maybe will illustrate this. Um, I had LASIK surgery done. I'm 61 years old. I had LASIK surgery done when I turned 40. I was tired of wearing glasses. I couldn't tolerate um, contacts anymore. And I said, I'm going to have LASIK. Now, this was, LASIK was pretty new then. And it was pretty expensive. I think it was over five thousand bucks. Now wow. I think, now I think it's forty nine dollars, and they do it at a drive through. Yeah. <laughs> but at that time, uh, I'm terrified. We're talking about my eyes. Yeah, that's pretty scary. So I scheduled the the the, the surgery, and they only worked on like two days a week. This is a guy who went from doing cataracts uh, for for Medicaid money to to doing these five thousand dollars surgeries twice a week. I figured he was making five to six million dollars a year. Yeah, doing this stuff. So he hit the sweepstakes. So I scheduled the appointment for two weeks hence. And a woman looked at me and she said, you know, people don't do that. People schedule it for like tomorrow. I said, well, I, I can't do it tomorrow. I said, then my next thing is two weeks. After I did that, I realized, yes, I made a mistake because I had two weeks to think about it. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> so every night I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. So finally I went online. I went on the internet. And I found a video of them actually doing the LASIK surgery. Oh, man. Where they cut the little flap and yeah, the thing yeah, with yeah. the eye. I exhaled. I said, oh, my God, all the mystery just went out of this. Hmm. It was, it's okay. I know. I can do this now. Right? And then I went in there and it's, you know, it was a little, for anybody who's, who's had it, when when they compress your eye and you you go blind in that eye for just a few seconds, but it's it's long enough to be i'm just about uncomfortable and then it starts to come back again sort of like the covid test i don't know if you had a covid test but i know i haven't had one my, my son had my oldest son had covid um and so i had to get go and get tested and it's like they stick that thing in your nose and and the guy luckily he talked he counted backwards five four three two one by the time you're between three and two you're saying to yourself this is really uncomfortable and i don't yeah. like it but you're listening to him and then he does it and it's like okay thank god he 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 you know he uh, spoke backwards there you know counted down otherwise oof, 
I don't know. So remove the mystery. And for me, okay, I can deal with it. Yeah. It's the unknown. And that's the thing that's scary when you first start investing your money is it's, it's all unknown. I'm going to go buy Tesla stock. I'm going to go buy Apple. It's a rocket ship, blah, blah, blah. So I tell people, look, if you want to dip your toes in the water, buy a mutual fund. Don't even bother with an ETF. They're unmanaged. Buy a mutual fund, right? Yeah. Go to Fidelity, go to Schwab, go to any one of these com companies. I own mutual funds because I don't know anything about Chinese stocks, but I want, I want exposure to the China market. Yeah. So you can do that. It's easy. And you could dollar cost average, which is, which is how I paid for the kids' college. I started investing when, you know, when they were born. I opened up an account, got them a social security number, opened up an account, started putting money in. The miracle of compound interest, like we talked yeah. about, and, and reinvestment of dividends, yeah. right? Keep reinvesting those dividends. Watch it, watch it grow. Do you invest every month or every week? Um, I did it every month with the kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did it. I did it every month. And I and at a certain point, I was putting a lot of money in there. I was putting like every every nickel that I could put away. I was putting away with my first business. I had fights with my partner uh, about funding a SEP account. I wanted to max out the SEP account. He's like, I don't want to put any money in a SEP account. <laughs> That's exactly what he was. He lived hand to mouth. So we had to negotiate and, com and compromise that because I knew I knew that this was going to be beneficial in the long run. And now yeah. I, as I'm in my sixties, it's like sure as hell is right. Hate being right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about the difference between a target date fund versus let's say having uh, you know, following one of these portfolio recommendations and just basically uh, restructuring at the end of the year or rebalancing at the end of the year, like some of these uh, the all seasons portfolio and st stuff like that versus a target date fund where, you know, you pick a date and it's kind of done for you. Obviously the returns are a little bit less, but they're less hassle as well. I mean, for the average person, I'm talking about mm -hmm. from the context of the average person who let's say, okay, I got some extra money. I want to, you know, invest X amount per month, a couple hundred bucks, whatever per month. And I don't really want to worry too much about it. You know, I don't, I don't want to, learn that much about investing, but I also want to take advantage of investing and I realized that it's important. So what's, what's your take on, on those different things? Well, now we're in a situation where, where we're talking about having your cake and eating it too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm running a, a passive investment mastermind and uh, uh, right now uh, with a bunch of folks online and on a zoom thing. And when the very first meeting I said, look, I don't believe there's any such thing as a passive investment. You need to keep a crooked eye. Yeah. I said in, in, in my vision of it, a passive investment means that it's not a business I'm working in, right? I'm used to working with entrepreneurs, yeah. right? So I know folks who buy and sell websites, let's say, as an example. And one of the, one of the uh, metrics that you use is, is how much time is, uh, is the owner spending, right? And people want something where I'm only going to need to do like one or two hours a week, yeah. Uh, and it'll it'll continue to sort of run along and shed cash. Maybe it's not going to grow a lot, but it also, you know, again, barring some some reversal of fortune, it should just sort of chug along. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that things don't just chug along. I mean, the world changes. Right. Einstein, you know, this this is the, I had this argument with someone. 
because I'm a, I'm a contrarian by nature. Einstein, another Einstein quote where he said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting, expecting a different, different result, result. <laughs> right? Which is total horseshit. I mean, oops, pardon my, pardon my. Oh, you're good. You're good. Right. Um, it is because there are times where you do the same thing over and over again, right? And the world changes. And then the world gives you a different result, mm. right? There are zillions of cases where people did that. People talk about Colonel Sanders going to a thousand banks with his idea to try to get funding for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. Right? Most people said, I would have given up at 500 and we wouldn't have Kentucky Fried Chicken, wow. right? He was doing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm sure his wife said, dude, give it up. No one's going to give you money. Interesting. He believed in it. If you read the big short where it was Michael Burry talking about how he's, he's, he, you know, he shortened these, um, these derivatives. Yeah. He saw very clearly nobody else did. People were screaming at him in his ear to liquidate. No, we got to hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. Yeah. Then the world changed. His strategy didn't change. He was waiting for the world to change, to catch up to his vision. That's called being a visionary. Yeah. Right. That's like an Elon Musk thing where it's like, I know that, that we have to get off of fossil fuels and electric cars. You know, my grandchildren, they'll, they'll go to a museum to see, to see a, uh, a gas powered vehicle. I can see that as clear as day. So can he. Right. I'm an electrical engineer, though. I mean, maybe I have a little bit of a of a of a built in advantage there. But to me, it's as obvious as the sky being blue tomorrow morning. Right. But it's not to the rest of the world. Hmm. And not only is it, it, it and and part of it is people are oblivious to that fact. But the other part of it is, as, as a lawyer friend of mine used to say, Whose ox is being gored? So what does that mean? Well, the fossil fuel companies have a vested interest in burning fossil fuels because that's yeah, how they make money. Sure. So they will come out with disinformation about this, that, and the other thing in order to protect their franchise. Even though they may be having dinner with their kids and saying, yeah, I know, I know kids, in 20 years, uh, the gas-powered car will be in a museum and we'll all be on electric. But for now, I still got to toe the line because that's how I make my money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. My dad uh, is one of the top mechanics for Acura. He's about ready to retire, but he would tell me that uh, they have so many patents. These car companies that they purchase from people, and they never do anything with them. Like how, like water powered cars, and yeah, 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 mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And they do. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, if you think about, I follow like physics a lot, and uh, there's this physicist named Nassim Haramein who is talking about basically har- harnessing, uh, you know, the vacuum energy like the energy in the universe practically that's all around us and a cup of a cup of this stuff if you could harness it would literally power the earth for like a thousand years or something energy energy is you know just it's everywhere by nature so it's just so funny it's neither created nor destroyed it's just everywhere i drove my son back to utah my youngest son uh, marky for to go back to school in august and you know 2200 miles and I smiled as I drove across Wyoming, even though it's the middle of nowhere, uh, to see all these wind farms. Yeah. I'm like, I even saw them with the giant, they're, they're like 70 meters long, these crazy trucks with, the, with just with the blades on it. If you look at that and you look at wind power, I did my final electrical engineering you know, process um, um, 
sorry, not process, like thesis, my 20 page paper when I graduated in 1981 on photovoltaics and on building, I I actually built a prototype for a device that would be a solar panel that would actually track the sun. Mm. Right, Like a sunflower, sort of like a, it would. Well, it was that, no, it was, that, it was, I actually had it on a servo. So they would, it would actually track the sun as it went along to see, and to see whether you can get a, uh, an increase in the efficiency of them hmm. without generating too much energy by actually moving the servo. Right. So can you get kind of like, kind of like free energy out of it? Yeah. Right. Well, it's crazy. I mean, plants do that by nature. If you, like I was reading sure. some article recently that they, figure out that plants, the reason they're so, they're like 98% efficient, I guess, with their energy conversion, they use quantum physics somehow to let the photons, I mean, it's just, it blows my mind, but let Mm -hmm. the photons go through all these little structures in the plant before they reach the mitochondria and all this stuff. I'm like, holy smokes, man, all around us already, nature's been doing it for, you know, forever. If you you transplant a square of um, cactus out of, um, out of Arizona, yeah. Right. They, they actually sell them, you know, they'll dig them up and they'll sell them to people. They guarantee them for one year. Right. Mm. Because if you don't plant that in exactly the same orientation to the sun as it was, it'll die in like 13 months. Wow. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. You That's cannot mess with that. Right. That thing knows what it is and knows what it wants. It is a living organism. Wow. Don't mess with it. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. I lived in Arizona for 30 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, you learned something. Learn something. Yeah, I'll tell you, that's why I love podcasting. You always learn something. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think about this virus? I mean, we kind of brought it up a little bit, but nothing, uh, you know, what opportunities ha- has it brought up for people? I, for me, it just seems like such an opportunity because the world has literally stopped for the first time to think, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, in that space, there's there's just a lot of room for a new direction. So in your mind, from a financial perspective, I guess, investing, business, how do you see this as, as an opportunity, this whole thing that's happened? Yeah, we when this thing first, first started, um, I had a lot of calls with people. I opened my business coaching practice up for three months for April, May, and June yeah. to anybody and everybody. So I had, I don't know, 90 or 87 phone calls. I had a lot of half hour phone calls with all sorts of different people. Some who'd been hit really hard. First call I had was with a travel blogger, right? Henry, my business went from, from, you know, I don't know what it was, 10, 15 K MRR to zero overnight. Talk about a black swan event. Wow. Right. First question I asked everybody was if this thing lasts till the end of 2021, which is, which was my opinion then, and it hasn't changed. Um, I think 2021, we're going to be in this thing the whole, the whole year. Do you have enough money to, to get by? She yeah. said, yeah, I, I do. I might have to live like Gandhi, but um, yeah, I, <laughs> I can get by. Um, so then I hosted a couple of other Zoom calls where I said, let's, you know, let's brainstorm some ideas about where the pivots are, right? We're not going to be scalping hand sanitizer, <laughs> scalping masks. I know somebody who masks did that. Masks and a lot of money. Uh, you know, yeah. do a two-for-one package deal. And- they were doing all, people were doing, we're not talking about that. But how is this going to fundament, you know, how will it fundamentally change the world? Will it fundamentally change the world? So there's a couple things, there's a couple things that worry me. Um, people are creatures of habit, but habits can change. 
right? Um, my wife and I, you know, we, we eat out like way too much. Yeah. We've been cooking a lot, like a lot and having food in the house. And it was like, wow, this, I like this, you know, well, we lived in New York city for years and years. And a lot of people who live in, you know, we lived there for 25 years. And if you live in Manhattan, you order out a lot. Let's face yeah. it. Just a thing that you do. Right. There's takeout everywhere. We didn't have to wait for, you know, Uber eats, you know, yeah. <laughs> 50 years ago, you could Everything's get close by anyway. I mean, you can just walk yeah. there a bit too. You could get, if you want to be a shut in or, or if you're agoraphobic, whether it's now or, or the 1950s, you can live in New York and have everything delivered. Yeah. So it's not a new phenomenon. Um, but the question is, will, will people revert back to their old habits or will they use this as an opportunity to develop some new habits? Because the longer it, the longer it lasts, the more it becomes that new normal. Yeah. So will we see a contraction in, in the restaurant? Restaurant business are a tough business to begin with. And I know people who've owned one. I, I came very close to buying an Italian restaurant on the Upper East Side way it's back a in tough the tough business, man. Thank God I didn't. Really, just <laughs> thank God. My brother-in-law owns a, like a donut and, and ice store down in, uh, water ice store down in uh, North Carolina. Um it's a you, it's a labor of love. You really have to be in love with that yeah. thing. So we on the few times we have gone out, the rule is we overorder and we overtip. We want to keep them in business. So we just order too much food and we take it home, right? And we yeah. just leave a twenty five percent tip, right? That's just what we do now. That's our sort of new normal because it's much less frequent, and we want to see them survive. The the a lot of what I've been writing about in my I do a, a you know, twice a month update. I call it the DAS FQ update where I try to write a little differently than the mainstream stuff, you yeah. know, try to dig much deeper into it. But there are other people have been writing about this too. It's kind of the tale of two recessions, right? There are really two recessions going on. Hmm. There's, there's a housing boom here in the Northeast because my wife and I are looking, are looking to buy a house because we, yeah. we want to move. Um, no one's putting a gun to my head to, uh, to move, but we want to move. We're, you know, we're empty nesters now. There's, uh, my brother-in-law uh, texted me. He goes, you know, one of those Roberto Clemente, because I'm a huge Roberto Clemente fan and I have my, my baseball cards over here. He goes, you know, one of those cards sold for $50,000 at auction. Wow. And you have some of those? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you use video for your thing here, but this is. I don't uh, use video, right. but people can pretend. Yeah, oh, wow. Nice. That's a 1955 they could pretend uh, I got it upside. This is a 1955 Roberto Clemente rookie card. Wow. So this is the, that's a card that, that sold for, for 50 grand. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what's wrong with this picture? Hmm. Right. The, 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 the earth went to hell in a handbasket. How are people still buying? <laughs> people are buying houses. People are, you know, people are buying baseball cards. Who's got money for baseball cards when yeah. 30 million people are, are, are out of work. It just, it doesn't make sense. So you look at it and you see there's this, there's bifurcation of those, that 30% of the economy are the people who are working for minimum wage or, or living sort of hand to mouth or whatever. Um, people ask me, how is it that the market has, has, has stayed up through all of this? Because that's the reason the market, as sad as it is to say, market doesn't care about those people. Yeah. Those people are not invested in the market and those people are not integral to the P&L of these giant monolithic companies. 
Hmm. Right. Amazon doesn't care if 10,000 restaurants go out of business. It's, it's sad. It's horrifying because you're talking about people's livelihoods here. But the economic reality of it, it, it you know, it, it, is that they just don't care. And that's, what, that's really sobering. What do you think about these platforms like Amazon and Google and YouTube? I mean, it, it, uh, I mean, it seems like they're going to be in trouble pretty soon. But what is the future? I mean, they've disrupted so much of our the way that things work, you know, and not in a good way, good, a bad way, other way. They've disrupted the traditional way that things were for many decades. And so the future is very interesting. It's exciting. Some of it's kind of scary. So, you know, what's what's your take on where all that is going, especially in it's, light of everything that's happened, it seems like there's a course correction there going on, but. Well, it's, it. some of it is generational. So, you know, as an old school boomer, um, I've, uh, I've tamped down and I'm invested in Amazon just for full disclosure. Yeah. You know, I own my, I own their stock. <laughs> Why not? I mean, they're what trillion. Why not? I've made, a, I've made a lot of money with it. And I own Apple and Facebook and all these things. Um, uh, I'm a little overweight on tech and I'm a little overweight on pharma because, yeah. but I've always, I've been overweight on pharma for 30 years. Tech is a relatively new phenomenon. When I, when I rebalanced in March and April, I said, I'm going to jump a little bit more on the tech train and, 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 and get a little risk on. So for me, I like to shop local. So I will go to a store and buy something and touch it and feel it. And I go, we go to mom and pop places. Yeah. Um, we go to a local market. We went there this past weekend and they have nice fresh produce and I'm paying up a little bit more. That's the privilege, the privileged world, the first world that I live in. And I'm, and I'm happy to do it and support them because it's important to keep people employed. Yeah. But if you're a 25 year old and you grew up never not knowing what an ATM or a cell phone or, a, you know, Hollywood studio in your pocket. Right. Um, which is what people have now. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Never didn't have the Internet, never didn't have all of these things. So for you, what might be abnormal is going to a little local market to buy something as opposed to just making a couple clicks on Amazon and having it shipped in and being there the next day. Yeah. So I'm bullish on that, even though, you know, some of it disturbs me because it would mean an overall contraction in the, the decent paying jobs, which is what you want. The folks who are making money and out there buying baseball cards in the middle of a pandemic. But the problem is you got a population that's, 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 on its way to probably 10 billion, right? Yeah. And then you have a contraction in the uh, available, what I'm calling good jobs, right? That's an untenable situation, right? Something's gonna break yeah. somewhere along the line. And it's just not a prescription for a healthy economy moving forward. We're already seemingly multiple casts or strata here in America. Do you want that? Do you want that to get worse? I just don't see how that benefits the country. Yeah. Do you think they should be like public utilities like Amazon and Google and stuff like that? If they have such a broad reach over people's lives? It's hard to say. Yeah. I, I, I remember, uh, what was her name? The, uh, 
the famous breakup of um, Standard Oil. Oh, Standard Oil, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm going all the way back. Yeah, uh, what's her name? <laughs> she, she wrote Rockefeller. No, uh, hmm. Ida Ida Tarbell, I think was her name. Hmm. She was a woman who who lit the fuse, right? She doesn't hmm. get much um, press. Uh, because I'm standing here and, and I, I like to stay focused. I think it's Ida Tar- She wrote a series of articles about the predatory nature of standard o- uh, oil, mm. which is what led to the actual breakup of. Standard wow. Interesting. Sisters. Oh yeah. She's uh, uh, one of the things that one of my side hustles is I'm a screenwriter and uh, I sent some, I sent scripts to these two women who were HBO producers uh, that a friend of mine, you know, made the connection and they really loved my writing and they asked me to, to, um, potentially work on this project, but like all Hollywood stuff, things fall apart. Yeah. And that was a part of their series is they were going to do, um, well-known unknown people, Jack Daniels, uh, it's actually Jack Daniel, um, Margaret Sanger, a bunch of different people and actually do a TV series about them. Cause they're fascinating people that, that nobody knows about. Yeah, so that was the first big breakup, and then I remember very well the breakup of AT and T, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That was when was Phone it? That was like those in the eighties. Those are the two big ones. Yeah, that that was the eighties. That was when you know you used to the um, long distance rates subsidized local phone service, right? That was back in the day where it's like I can't talk. I'm on long distance, right? Yeah. You watch a movie. <laughs> I love it when they're there. It's like, you know, uh, old um, problems that don't exist anymore. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's a wonderful life. It's Sam Wainwright. He's on long distance. Yeah. Like, that was a big deal. I mean, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was dollars per minute sometimes. Um, that got broken up again. Uh, I, I, it's hard to see where that, you know, where the lines are drawn with that. I mean, look yeah. at, look at Facebook as an example. All right. So it's a perfect example. What would what would it look like if you broke up Facebook? What would you break the Yeah, news? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You have to spin off Instagram as a whole thing. You got to do this. And I'm no fan of Facebook. I, I, I barely use it. And the only reason I, I actually bought Facebook was, was when Zuckerberg went before Congress. And I said to myself, this guy's an apex predator. And then yeah. I started reading. And then I started reading all the stuff, all the internal memo stuff. And I'm like, these, these guys would eat their young to yeah, for a buck. For sure. I'm buying that stock because I'm trying to make money. I'm not proud of it. But when I, when I see stuff like that, I'm like, uh, yeah, they're a money machine. Of course, I, I went through all the numbers and I looked, at, I looked at everything and analyzed the stuff. And I said, oh, my God, these guys are printing money. Hmm. Um, I want some of that. Right. But it's not, it's not something that I use. Uh, maybe once a month I might be on Facebook. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but if you broke them up, what would you gain by that? What would society gain? Because it's out there. And frankly, I think it's, I think the future, I have a, I have a, um, a white paper that, that I wrote about what I think the next um, version of, of social media is. Yeah. And it's based on um, the human genome project. If you're familiar mm. with that. Yeah. You know, Pandora, the music, Pandora music system, who's kind of been usurped by Spotify and some of the other ones. It's, yeah. I guess it's a little bit of the, the ginger haired stepchild of them. Um, but they was based on the human genome project. So right now you've got two plus billion people, but they're all equally weighted out in the world in Facebook. 
Facebook doesn't differentiate between your best friend and some guy you met at a Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the nature of how that works, but that's not how life works. Yeah. So they haven't, they haven't done anything to their algo to compensate for the fact. So the way I have it designed is it, it's like, it's like the balls that they use in that project. If you've ever seen a, a, an image of what it is, it's like a bunch of spheres. So it was done originally with music. So Bob Dylan is a giant sphere. Right. And Neil Young is a giant sphere and Paul McCartney is a giant sphere. And then they have smaller spheres, you know, circling around them and they're all sort of interconnected. Yeah. With the influences, which is which is brilliant. But that's the same way your your social network is. So I look at it as size and color. Right. Size is a guy I've known since I was four years old who I played golf with yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. But we don't talk particularly often. So his size might be great, but his distance from me might you know if we if we use a you know if we add in the planetary part of it that i have he's a little bit far away from me and he's not particularly brightly colored yeah because we're not interacting much but he's giant because the time that you've spent yeah right and so i you know the way i envision it is like this three-dimensional world where these these balls they 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 light up and they move in and then they fade away right you have relationships with people and then they kind of go fallow. But do I still want to see their newsfeed or their pictures of their grandchildren? Yeah. Right. I don't, I want the algorithm to figure out what it is that I do. And it's very easy because all the data is there. Right? Yeah. If you just, if you just aggregated everything from your texts, your emails, of course, this is a little big brotherish, which is, why <laughs> which is why it'll never happen is because I don't want to aggregate all that. It's like, don't worry, they've already got all that data. Um, but if you brought all of that in through these disparate channels and had a little AI and a little algorithm in place there, it could really, f- it could figure out, well, I know, you know, this guy really well because you go way, way back, but you haven't talked to him in ages. So I don't need to show you you know stuff about him quite so frequently so would it adapt based on like contract tracing and and you know it would say oh you're hanging out with these people so now you boom (laughs) you hit it it adapts it's a living organism yeah right because my world is constantly shifting people who come in and out of it right they'll move in and they'll move out that's a lot of information for one I mean, that's, that's the catch 22, right? I mean, it's like, there's so much information for some one company to have uh, control over. Yeah. That's why it would have to be done in a distributed format. So the idea is that the, the actual, the actual processing of all that data is not going to be stored in some massive cloud database, Hmm. actually going to be distributed. It's sort of like, do I dare say the word? kind of bitcoiny like right? i was gonna say there's a blockchain technology yeah. to, to encode yeah. people's uh whatever information across the net now and that we're talking about using that as the future of blockchain is really really interesting technology i don't know much about cryptocurrency people ask me about either. it all the time and it's like i did a talk about it just in how it related to the 14 market cycles but the people i were talking to had never even seen a, seen a stock chart before yeah. It's like, you're invested in this stuff, but you don't know what a chart looks like. It's like, why don't you just set your money on fire? It would be easier. <laughs> um, what anyway, do you think we'll about look. the future of blockchain or blockchain? I mean, uh, cryptocurrency. Do you do you see that going anywhere? I mean, it just seems so volatile. I mean, I don't know that much about it, but. 
Yeah, you know Seems what? It's, it's, it's in its embryonic stage yeah. right now. It still hasn't picked. I don't think they've really picked the winners and losers yet. Remember when automobiles started at the turn of the last century, there were 300 automobile companies in America. Wow, really? Now there's now there's three, right? Yeah. So eventually what happens is the marketplace needs to pick winners and losers. But what determines that? Like, for example, Facebook has what, Libra? I don't know if they ever launched that or not, but they were trying to do like their own cryptocurrency. Everybody has their own unit now. But what determines if Bitcoin's better than Libra and Libra's being like, what determines I have that? no idea. Just the fact that it was created <laughs> by some unknown guy and there's some finite number of it. So it's just a, uh, it's is an enough to make me, yeah. <laughs> it's enough to make me head for the hills. Look, yeah. there's, there. I won't say that there's easy money to be made out there, but there is easier money than stuff that you don't really know anything about or understand. Yeah. Right. So what do people do? They, 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 they look for the rocket ship. I'm just going to jump on that speeding train, even though I don't know anything about it. And even though it might be speeding off a cliff, I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hucksterism, charlatanism, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A lot of guys in the financial world, um, you know, it's like, it's like I said to somebody a little while ago, it's kind of horrible. I said, if penis enlargement pills worked, every man on planet Earth would be taking them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, with some exceptions, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's it's you got to dig a little bit deeper beyond the surface. And I know this from my 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 kids. And that's one of the real dangers of these gigantic social networks, which are unregulated. Um, If, if it's distributed, if I really, if all of my data that's coming in from these cloud sources comes into some localized um, computing repository, it could just be an an appliance. It doesn't really take that much computing power and it's private to me. And then it just does its thing. It's just the algorithm that matters. So maybe you buy a, a, the, $200 $200 appliance that's like a little mini computer and you hook it in and you log in, you give it all the credentials to all of your stuff that you have, your texts, your this, your that, and it just goes to town and it yeah. doesn't share the data with anybody except you. Hmm. Right. That's, you know, that, that's my, my BHAG, my big hairy audacious goal. Um, it's interesting for sure. I mean, it, it's a, uh, I think we're definitely headed in that direction because with everything that's, happened you know these like you said everything's still in an embryonic stage even these platforms Mm -hmm. i mean i remember when facebook got started you know so it's just like it's still we're still figuring it out you know so it's it's an interesting (laughs) right but 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 humans are the same yeah right they are if you give them a hammer they're gonna use it to to drive a nail or anything else or kill somebody else (laughs) or or do do some mayhem with it whatever it might be you give them a bunch of tools and yeah they're going to build a house but they also might you know take out an eye exactly you don't really know but when you start the law of large numbers tells you that when you start giving out two billion hammers to people that's that's going to be noisy yeah (laughs) and if you're asking facebook's hierarchy you know, Zuckerberg and all those people to be policemen for this. Wow. I don't, I'm not sure I, I, that's the guy that I want, or those are the people that I want. Yeah. Right. Because they have a vested interest in making money above everything else. I'll invest in them because they're making me money and I'm going to take a piece of that pie. 
Yeah. Right. Same thing with Amazon. Amazon does 40% of the, of the online business here in America. Wow. That number is going to go up. Um, and Amazon's not even a delivery. They're a, they're a, a giant data play is what they are. Yeah. Just like, just like Tesla is really just kind of a giant data play. Um, like you said, having that centralized data there is, is huge. You can just use that to. Data is the new gold, man. <laughs> Data is everything. Yeah. Um, and, and you can and you can see how they're using it. Um, yeah. You know, if you, um, you know, you can do an experiment. Go on Amazon and <laughs> I always say this to people. They laugh. Uh, I say, go on and, and, and search for, you know, fluorescent dildos on Amazon. <laughs> right. Something obscure that, well, maybe you need one. Maybe you don't need one. Yeah. Um, and I guarantee you within 48 hours, somewhere in one of your devices, you'll get something pushed to you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's pretty creepy. Right? <laughs> yeah. It is. It's creepy town. Right. But do it with something obscure because it's more fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're already doing all that stuff. You're just a laboratory animal. Then they're yeah. just trying to, to uh, send as much stuff to get you to, to, to push the bar, you know, push bar, get food. It's Pavlovian. So me in my generation, since since I'm I'm guy born before internet, um, I'm mindful enough that says no, I can shut that off. I yeah. mean, I don't I don't take my phone to a lot of things. I leave my phone behind. I don't need it. If I go play golf or do this, the only thing that's on my phone is the little map of the of the course. Yeah. Right? I leave it home. If I go to, it's amazing because I, every time I go to restaurants and they it's been infrequent recently. But I, I never look at my phone and I and my wife doesn't, although my wife is kind of a, a millennial in an AARP body. But that's a story for another day. Um, I just look around the, the, the restaurant and I marvel at how many heads are buried in their phones. Oh, yeah. It's, You're it's sitting wild. at a table with another carbon based life form. Have a conversation. It's sad, too, because they have the kid. I saw the same thing, but they had a kid. It was like literally this kid must have been like two years older. I don't know. He's a young kid, but. The kid had the parents were on their phone and the kid had like a little iPad or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. looking at it. I'm like, man, you know, very early on, they're getting trained with this behavior of like, okay, I got to find a screen and, and I need that little reward. And it's just, I don't know. It's kind of sad to me to, to see. It is really, it is bad. It is bad for their brains. The, the, I, I created my own screen time formula. So for all you ones with, with we ones out there, it's you take their age, you divide it by two and subtract one. And that's how much screen time they should have in a given day. So, so a two-year-old, so it's, you take a two-year-old, you divide it by two, that's one and subtract one, that's zero. zero. <laughs> that is how much time they have. A four-year-old, two minus one, one hour. Yeah. That having raised, you know, three boys to adulthood, you know, pretty much before cell phones, although I think that we bought my oldest when he was nine, because he was going to school over in the West Village and he wanted to have a phone. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want you to have a phone because you're walking home from school. And yeah, uh, I feel better ha with you having a phone. Um, that was the you know, old fashioned flip phone. <laughs> That's all it yeah. did was dial a number. So not like these things. No, it's if you believe in science, you will discover that that that's not good for developing brains at all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I wince every time I see these parents shove a screen in front of somebody in a stroller. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. But anyway.
Do you uh, tell anything or do you teach anything to your kids in regards to finances? Um, Any yeah. principles that you yeah, kind of I do. made a point to really teach them? Yeah, I've... Um, I've obviously always taught them that the you know the 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 sooner you start, the better off you'll be. My um my oldest has a four hundred one k plan with his company, nice. so we sat How old down. Is your oldest kid? He he'll be. I've got three boys. They're Matt will be twenty nine. Michael's twenty four. Mark is twenty. So the two oldest have graduated college, and my youngest is at University of Utah. Gotcha. Um. So I showed him the different portfolios and I showed him, you know, the options because there's only certain options in there, how to create a, a, a diversified portfolio. And I said, put as much money in there as you, as you possibly can. Yeah. Right. Uh, my middle one doesn't have a job right now. He, he has daddy. He's actually in California now visiting some friends with daddy's credit card in his pocket. So that's nice. my cross to bear, but he's a smart kid and he knows he's actually starting a podcast. So I think nice. he's launching November 3rd. Um, cool little podcast. I hired him a coach, um, podcast coach, a guy I was on a podcast for, and I said, I like this guy and he does that. So it's like, yeah, teach him how to monetize a podcast. Yeah. Um, what's the podcast on? It's called candy flip show. It's all about artists and music. And he's, he's, he interviews these, these, you know, sort of I don't want to say struggling, but up and coming indie yeah. musicians who are doing all sorts of like really cool stuff. Um, he, you know, he, he likes it. He, yeah. And he seems to be, is he a musician? He's not a musician, but he's oh. into music. Yeah. Right? Um, so he knows a lot about music and movies and all that stuff. Cause you know, I, I, I'm into music and I'm into movies and I write screenplays like I shared. Um, so and we've been doing that since they were, you know, since he was very little, Right. So he's been exposed to a lot of a lot, a lot of, you know, media and content and stuff. And he's, you know, he's a good critical thinker. Yeah. Um, He wants to do a a mobile version of it where he, you know, takes a a mobile home and and goes out in the middle of nowhere and just, you know, interviews people drive around the country. Not the best thing to do in the middle of a a pandemic. (laughs) Maybe in 2022 we can pull that off. Yeah. So, Especially now you have a lot of options to be mobile. I mean, the technology has gone like through the roof with, with just quality mics and everything. I mean, it's just crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty amazing what you can do. Um, yeah. Again, I have context and I'm an audiophile. So, uh, and I had a home theater business. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really into, into high end, you know, it's nice to see vinyl making a comeback. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. And I have a few uh, vinyl records. Um, I went to see Beth Orton at Town Hall in the in New York um, a couple of years ago, and they were selling her vinyl album. Nice during season, and so I bought the I bought the disc and the vinyl album, and I brought it back home. And I tell you what, it is twice the weight of the final records that I have from the 1970s. Wow. I got a whole stack of them back here. Um, I couldn't believe it. It's like, this is, they, they're, they, they up their game on doing the vinyl. Cause the stuff that we got back when they were mass produced was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's garbage. And I tell you what, even with my old ears, um, it's, you know, analog is just so much better sounding on a, on a good, you know, on a high end system, something, you know, tube amplifier, tube preamp. 
it, but but it ends after 22 minutes <laughs> and then you have to get up and change it so there's that final question for you buddy what are you most grateful for today what am i most grateful for um having a wonderful you know family and a wife and and just um you know, every day that I wake up and I ain't covered with dirt is a good day. Yeah. Right. Took me, you know, took a long time. Took, yeah. took me to get into sort of middle age to sort to, to, you know, with, with the runway, uh, as I said to my wife the other day, I said, you know, the runway in front of us is much shorter than the one that we've traveled. Yeah. <laughs> Counting down. <laughs> so, you know, it's life. You know, we lost, uh, we lost our dog, Zach, two days ago. Oh. He died in sleep, 17 years old. Wow. Uh, he was my mother-in-law's uh, dog. And then when she died in 2010, so she had him for seven years. We had him for 10. Wow. We had a good long life, but it's so, you know, it's that, it's that reminder that yeah. life is short and it's precious Saver uh, Warren Zevon, uh, when he was on Letterman, when he was diagnosed with um, mesothelioma, it was at the end of the life, and he knew he was going to die. And Letterman asked him um, for his life advice, and he said, "Enjoy every sandwich." Yeah, <laughs> really is what, it, and, it, and there's so much truth in that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, buddy. It's been a, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, it's been a joy. Love yeah. being here. Awesome. Love it. We'll have to stay in touch, but uh, yeah. thanks, thanks so much. I would say hit me up on Facebook, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what the, no, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an old fashioned email. Yeah. Email is um, good. Email is good. Too. <laughs> um, no, this is good. I like the, this was a really nice conversation. Enjoy yeah. It. Um, all right. What else? When did you, how, how, how deep is your queue? As I should say, uh, a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm scheduled out right now, I think through October. So I think yours is going to go out in November sometime, but I'll cool. send the, as soon as I process it, I'll send it to uh, whoever the assistant that you have was, and then you guys can just share it. I don't care. So yeah, no, you I put it up on social media. I put it on LinkedIn. I put it on yeah. my, um, I've, I've done a lot. I've done like probably 40 podcasts since, since the lockdown. I, yeah. I enjoy doing them and They're um, fun. I'm, go I'm going to have my VA start um, listening to them and kind of pulling out the, the chunks and the stuff. Clips, yeah. Yeah. Or pulling out stuff that we can sort of syndicate into, you know, on, on Instagram or whatever the cool kids are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just sort of repurpose it. You know, you get an hour worth of content. It's like do something more than just putting it on the blog. Yeah. For sure. Now, podcasting is it's in its infancy, man. But it's, uh, it's another hit, thing that's in its infancy. It's yeah. going to hit hard. I, I know it's going to be really good. Next couple of years, it's going to take off. So it's yeah, it's going through a little bit of a, a lull and a shakeout. I think some of it is because people aren't driving as much. Yeah, so, that's listen, true. That's a good point. Down, but that will pop back up, and then there'll be kind of a culling of the herd where uh, <laughs> people will just get just like anything else. Um, People just get bored with it or they just won't see the value in it, which is good because it makes a hurt stronger. Yeah. So Raises good the players quality. will rise to the top. Uh, big believer in that. So yeah. watch out in 2022. I think we're going to have, I've been telling all my readers and stuff, I'm, I'm poised for like a, a, a sort of a massive economic bump. Nice. Once we get past this COVID thing. Yeah, I'm excited. It's good. I think the future's bright. I really do. I, oh, yeah. I think it's a... 
I think it's a exciting time to be alive. Solid year out, probably more like 15 months. Yeah. We got to get through this winter, maybe limp through. Because I did a lot of research on the 1918 influenza, and it was the second wave that killed most of the people. Yeah. And the first wave came in in March, and the second wave came in August. So we're kind of in that. We're kind of paralleling that. So it's going to be a it's going to be a long cold winter. Yeah. I'll be doing a lot more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> More time to thank talk. You, thank you for great. your time. I, I think my my it's nine o'clock here. I think my dinner's uh, upstairs. So nice. it was a pleasure. Stay in touch. Likewise, yeah. We'll stay in touch and have a great dinner, my friend. We'll see you later. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend, Henry. My goal with this interview is to inspire you to embrace your relationship to money as one that's open, playful, abundant, and generous. You know, money is a big part of life, whether we want to admit that or not. Uh, You know, it isn't everything, but it does represent your alignment to spiritual principles. What I mean by that is, you know, money comes to an open hand. It comes to when when you live in abundance, when you're generous, when you live by acceptance, And when you aren't chasing so hard, when you're not trying so hard, you know, so this is the thing, you know, money will have no problem visiting you when you operate according to the right internal principles and attitude. So hope you enjoyed that interview. If you want to connect with Henry, it's Henry with two A's, Henry Das, D-A-A-S. I'm going to post the link for his one month of free coaching. Uh, for financial goals, financial goals coaching, check that out. Make sure you click the link on the podcast show notes. That's on the danceoflife.com podcast show page. There'll be a post there for Henry's show. Let's not forget Oscar Wilde, to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. And I love this quote, even though it seems like it's not related. It totally is because, you know, to love yourself, it's all about self-worth. It's not about being arrogant, but truly accepting yourself and seeing your own value. Because when you see your own value, then money will come to you much more easily. You're going to be able to ask for your own worth. You're going to be standing up for what you believe. Uh, you're going to be rewarded for what you do because you know what you're worth. You know, you. this is what it's all about. Self-worth is the key. And so, you know, like Oscar Wilde said, it's, uh, Oscar Wilde said, it's the beginning of a lifelong romance, meaning it's a practice. So love yourself, elevate your self-worth, and watch reality change as you practice and you get better at it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Make sure you tune in on Tuesday for a little Transformation Tuesday. We're going to cover, we're going to get back into the body next week. You know, three health tests that you need to take. I'm going to share some nice little health tests that I usually get. We're going to nerd out on some nutrition on Friday. I'm going to Nicole, I'm going to interview Nicole from SpectraCell, which if you know SpectraCell, if you've followed me, if you work with me, SpectraCell is the micronutrient test that's like pretty much cutting edge and definitely something I think everybody should get at least once so you get an idea of what your baselines are. But it's such a great test to have as an ongoing thing for your health practice, especially if you're supplementing. So we're going to be breaking down everything next week. Nutrition, supplements, genes, nutrients, testing, all kinds of great stuff. So you don't want to miss it. If you know anybody interested in that kind of the world, the body hacking world, then uh, make sure you share this with them. You let them know about Friday or you share Friday's episode with them. Either way, you know, sharing is caring. 
I appreciate each and every one of you guys. Thank you so much for being here. And remember, until then, life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.